Hello, and welcome to Mystic Grace, podcast number three. My name is Colleen Grace Clabby, and I am in Lansing, Michigan. I have come from Anchorage, Alaska, where I did my first two podcasts there, having set it up in Mystic, Connecticut originally. And today is September the 18th, and it is my birthday. And come to find out, the DJ gentleman, podcast extraordinaire who is helping me with the podcast, both my niece and I, to, to record this today, his birthday is tomorrow. And he's exactly half my age. Of course, we're not going to go into that. But anyway, he's. Uh, we were all very surprised and very excited. And that is how I know that I'm in the right place, having uh, weaving my way back from Anchorage, Alaska, back to Mystic, Connecticut, and having started the podcast in August, August 15th. And today, my niece, Stephanie, who is 39, is married and has two children, grew up in Connecticut, and then moved to Las Vegas and spent how many years there, Stephanie? 21. 21 years in Las Vegas, and then has moved to Lansing, Michigan. Stephanie is my goddaughter as well, and I have been close to her my entire life, actually, and I'm very, very grateful to have her. Today, she'll bring something different to the podcast in that I want to talk about life after death, of course, but also feeling and healing. The last podcast that I did with Mike Ford, he talked about seeing spirits around his bed and having some experiences that were otherworldly, let's just say. And he he was terrific. His heart was open. He was wonderful. And we really had a good time. I want to continue that theme and I want to add the healing feeling, because my thing is, even if you are a, a medium or a psychic, and I think everyone is psychic, I just don't think we tap into it enough, but I think that we can heal ourselves. And this is what my thing has always been, and I explained in the very first podcast who I was, where I came from, why I built the Healing Center and why I believe that we really can heal ourselves. And it is experiences that human beings have that, such as what Stephanie will tell you a little bit about a near-death experience, perhaps not as traumatic as some as you might have read before or have heard or listened to on, on television, but the feeling and the healing is there in, in a in a very big capacity. And this is what's important. This is what's important now in all of our lives here on this planet station Earth, what I call planet station Earth. In As we are going through all of this chaos and all of this tumult, and no one knows who to listen to or where to go, the angst is incredible, I mean off the charts. And we have to... We have to invoke some peace in our lives, and we have to believe in a greater peace 
and a greater responsibility to that security of knowing that peace. And I'm going to repeat myself as I will for the next podcast following, and that is we do not need to have a traumatic life and death experience or generate a terrible illness for ourselves or be at death's door in any shape or capacity before we can call upon our higher selves, before we can really get connected to the higher power and invoke and understand and swallow that peace, that tremendous peace. And Stephanie and I were talking about that today. And she was describing to me about this experience that she had. And I would like all the listeners to listen to this 39-year-old who has lived an entirely different life than myself, and yet we have remained close and trusted one another through this tremendous schooling process of, of earth here and of life. And I'm going to turn it over to her so she can explain a little bit about who she is and her experience. There you go, Steph. Hello, everyone. My experience happened January 12th, 2007. I was um, 10 months pregnant with my son, and he was not staying head down. So I was uh, whisked away to a cesarean section. And they strap you down as if you're Jesus on the cross. My arms were bound. My head was bound. I had a big blue curtain in front of me so that I could see nothing. I saw nothing but a blue curtain. Um, I couldn't move my arms. And uh, it was a very interesting situation to be in uh, as they are taking my child out of me at the time. And I remember just giving in and just laying there, relaxed, just let the doctors do what they need to do, and I will lay here. And the next thing I knew, I could feel my entire body was just being pulled straight up into the universe. I remember white. Everything was perfect white all around me. No colors, nothing to, to break that. No shadows, nothing. Everything was white. I could feel my body rising. But the thing that I remember the most is the absolute definition of peace. If anyone can describe this peace, it's what I felt. It, it was unlike anything anyone on planet Earth has ever felt before. Because if you feel that way, you do not want to be here. You want to go in the direction of this ultimate peace. Um, it's hard to describe. There was there was nothing. There was no worries. There was no heartache. There was no, I'm leaving something behind. I didn't think about anything except for this euphoric peace um, that had come over to me. And I feel my body rising and I feel I'm getting warmer. I'm getting closer to this 
this absolute peace. Um, and then, of course, I get whacked in the head by a doctor who instantly brings me back to consciousness of the world. Did you feel that knock on the head? or I, I don't know what I felt, but I know that I felt like somebody tugged on me as if I was ripped back into a different existence. Um, and I, of course, I opened my eyes and I looked up at, because now his face is right in, right in front of my face. And I said, what are you doing? And he said, well, you stopped breathing. This is the anesthesiologist. The anesthesiologist yeah. said, you, you stopped breathing. And I said, so? I was, <laughs> I was happy. Right, I was right. at, I was at peace. I, I and, and so he said, "Well, you, you have to breathe, darling." And so, of course, I took a couple of breaths, and it happened again. It. You immediately went back out. Again? I immediately went right back into that white space. The feeling of euphoria, peace, uh, just the love, the divine, everything was beautiful and wonderful and magical. And I started to feel my body rising up again. I'm going up towards the sky. Everything is white and I get whacked on the head again. And so he says, well, this time you stop breathing for even longer. You know, you have to stay awake. You need to be a part of this. You know, your baby's coming out of you. You have to, let's engage, let's start talking. And I just remember wanting to go to sleep. Just let me go to sleep. And I said to him, please just let me, let me go to sleep. And so that third time, I I did it again. I closed my eyes. I left. I was rising up into the whiteness. The peace was there. Everything was wonderful. I didn't want to come back. And that's when things got a little bit crazy. He woke me up again. Now he's got my husband in my face who's constantly talking to me to keep me conscious and aware. Baby's coming out at the same time. He had a cord wrapped around his neck. Everybody's scrambling in the room. And um, it was, I was probably awake, conscious, talking to my husband for a minute or two. And then I was unconscious for the next five hours. I don't remember anything after that. Oh, that's interesting. So I wonder, did they give you some kind of medication to... I don't think so. I think at this point, I just fell asleep, maybe from exhaustion. Maybe they did slip something in my IV. I have no idea. Um, But I know that the baby was being taken away because he had cords wrapped around his neck. Things were happening. I hadn't heard him cry or make a sound. And I looked at my husband because he's in my face trying to keep me awake. And I said, forget about me. Go follow the baby. Just stay with the baby. And I don't remember anything after that until I woke up. And everyone I when I woke up in my hospital room, I can see my mother, my husband standing like staring at me as if they were (laughs) afraid I wasn't going to wake up. And when I opened my eyes, they were like, oh, my God, she's awake. And I was like, where's my baby? (laughs) And they said, you've been unconscious for five hours, and he's not here. He's in the NICU. So um, the baby is fine. He was wonderful. Everything is great. Don't worry about him. He's 10 now. Um, Cooper, he's 10. Yes. And so... Um, but they said they they had worried about me because they didn't know was I just sleeping or 
was I going to come out of this again now that no one else, the doctors were not around? So, um, but I, I always remember, and I've never publicly talked about this. Less than three people knew about it before I came here today. Um, well, thank you for sharing that and keep sure. going, Stephanie, because I want to ask you, uh, I don't have any children myself, so I know that you. we were talking about the most incredible experience that people have said, women, have said that it's the, the best day of your life when you are birthing a baby. But you said something else. Um, talking about this peacefulness was the best. There isn't anything that you, anyone in this world can do on this planet to understand the level of peacefulness I felt when I was rising out of this world. Um, there isn't any drug you can take. There isn't any drink that you can drink. There isn't any event that you can be part of that you think this is the best day of my life. This was the most serene place I've ever been to. This was the most wonderful thing I've ever felt. What I felt was a thousand times more powerful than the most joy you've ever felt in your life. And I'm not sure if anyone can relate to that unless they themselves have had a near-death experience. But I, it will actually make me cry if I think about the peace I felt as I was rising and leaving my body from this world um, because I did, I did not care if I went back. There wasn't anything that I felt like I needed to finish, loose ends, regrets. There's none of that. There isn't any, I forgot to do the dishes. I left the gas on. My kids aren't going to be raised by me. None of that mattered. I knew, I knew in my soul that I was going to the best place that I will ever be in my life. So do you think that the, t the tears are what are, are actually in remembering this uh, feeling is because we can't get that? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I was just going to say, it, it would make me cry because people search their whole lives for that level of peace, peacefulness. Yeah. And I've been there. I have felt it. And I would be willing to do just about anything to get there again. Which um, you might have tried a few, sure. a few things. <laughs> I mean, you know, this is another generation here we're talking about. and uh, Sure. Mm -hmm. But nothing, mm -hmm. nothing that you can consume, uh, no matter how many chemicals is in it, is never going to bring you to that level of peace of imagine have not, not having any worries, in this world, not one. You didn't care about anything, that nothing mattered. Traffic, grocery stores, life, pleasing other people. That's what we do. We spend our whole life pleasing other people. And I felt like this was the one place in the world that none of that mattered. All, none of that even existed. It was just a peaceful place to be, which is why I told you I am not afraid to die. I know the light that I am going into. I know the feeling that I'm going to get when I get there. No matter what you've done in life, you're 
you're going there. You get to go there. You get to choose to go there. And I'm not afraid to die because I know that when that day comes, I will have the ultimate level of peace that no one here on this earth plane could possibly know what it feels like unless they themselves have had a near-death experience. And those of us who have not had a near-death experience, uh, but perhaps other um, inclinations toward that peace or a faith that this this really does exist, um, we can hope and and just uh, and live our lives as best we can in the faith of knowing that this does exist. And then for a person like myself who was demanding from the light, shall we say, or, or God, like, okay, well, just please tell me what, what, what I'm supposed to be doing here or what this feels like. I once demanded, demanded, so can we demand from the Creator? Well, if we think of ourselves as our higher selves as being part of creation, then it's almost like we can ask and we can say, okay, I'm, I'm, I, I want to know what this feels like. One time I was in um, Beverly Hills and I was living the material life, which you were a part of that. You got to see that and to see the difference of all of that, the material life, spiritual life. And I demanded to know, to feel what unconditional love felt like again, because I couldn't find it anywhere from anyone as much as your partner or, or parents or a parent or a guardian or children or well, children may be a little different and say, I love you. Of course, out of babies and, and children who have not been tortured or tormented or programmed into this suffering uh, existence, this suffering program, um, when they say, I, I love you, and I, then you can feel that. There's that feeling. So I was saying to my higher self, saying to God, I want to know, I want to know what unconditional love feels like. Again, I don't want to read another story about it. I don't want to get the pink uh, bow ties or whatever represents unconditional love. I want to know what it feels like. Give me that feeling, and I don't want to have a near-death experience, and I don't want to be on my, uh, you know, on my deathbed. Give it to me now. Show me what this feels like. I, I want it. Honest to God in heaven, I got it. I got it. And it was this euphoric feeling, you know, without, without leaving my body, and I've had out-of-body experiences, but without leaving my body, I got this tremendous wrapped in unconditional love where I was born from, where you were born from, where all human beings were born from, from this flower of life, this unconditional love, and that which we will go back to. And if we are, I feel that our, our passion to know this again is, is what has us on edge now, in this in this field of tremendous angst and anxiety, and that we can and we must go and and ask for and demand this level of peace, we have to have faith 
so many people are thinking that it's going to be the end of the world. All the kids th that are in grade school now, I have no idea what they're thinking. I, I can't even imagine that, that they're coming home and, and saying, well, who, who cares or what does it matter? And I see this written, carved into places. Who cares? I, I, I see it on the... Uh, you know, walls. The graffiti. And, yes, graffiti. Who cares? And it, is that Stephanie meaning that, that that we're having a nuclear war tomorrow and like, and no one cares? No one knows because we're going to be gone. I I don't live in the who cares world. I don't know what that's like. I do not prefer to be around people who live in that world. But people are scared. People don't know, people don't want to know, people just want to know what you feed them, you know, what the news has to say, what the TV has to say, what the, you know, the tablets and the YouTube has to say. That that generation, this generation is so far off the beaten path, they, they may never get there. Um, so we have to hope that the few select crystal children of these of this world and those who are open will continue to talk and share their stories um, and and pull other people in because we as humans are going to destroy ourselves before we even get the chance to transcend yes to have the power and the, and the will to transcend to know the difference do you think Stephanie that if we really understood the feeling, you know, that you had, and we really understood that there is no death and that we do not need to fear that, we don't need to fear our death, then we could live a whole lot better. Yes. If people knew, if people could feel what I felt in that moment of my life, they wouldn't care about anything. They wouldn't be negative. They wouldn't live in the world of 3D materialistic stuff out here. It's all, none of it matters. It didn't matter what shoes I had on. It didn't matter how much money I had in the bank. It didn't matter anything. Nothing mattered. Didn't matter if the lawn was mowed. Didn't matter if the dog had food. None of that mattered. And that was what I was hoping to achieve. I, I would have been okay if that doctor had never touched me and he had let me go to that place of beauty. Um, I, I would have felt, I wouldn't have even felt sad. There was no sadness. I mean, I, I knew as I was leaving, I'd be leaving my brand new baby behind, my daughter behind, my husband, everything. I mean, you know, my whole life, I would, didn't matter. Hmm. It didn't matter because hmm. I knew that they would be okay and I was going to a much better place. And I think if people here knew what it felt like over there, they would lead a different life here. They would be kinder. And kinder is one of the biggest problems that we have right now. The kindness. There is no kindness. Just to extend a helping hand, open someone's door for them. Just the little things that matter. And people are so running around. They're busy. Everything is so busy, and me, I just, ever since then, I've sort of been super chill. I don't rush around because I have to be somewhere at a certain time, and it's just like, all right, who cares? You know, it doesn't really matter. Life will move on. 
whether you're here or not, whether you go to that event or not, whether you're five minutes early or an hour late, it's still going to go on. Life will go on whether you're here or not. And I think life would go a lot smoother for people if they knew what was waiting for them in the end. People live in fear. We have tons of older people who are on their way out of the world. Why aren't they leaving? They're deathly afraid of what's going to happen when they take their last breath. And let me tell you, taking your last breath will be worth it. Because (laughs) where you're going is somewhere so much better than what you've dealt with here. I believe in in the Sufi tradition, uh, they talk about how many breaths that you have when you come into this world. So if you can't, you come in, you take your first breath as a baby, you take your first breath, and then you may take your last one a week later or 90 years later, you know, that sort of thing. It's very, very interesting. Um, Some of us would talk about the state of consciousness in that there was no here or over there, that it was just a state of consciousness. And, and we are, and we are like a higher self or whatever, the, or that gratitude that is the very first key and a very a crucial piece to finding peace. And that is the gratitude. But then it's a, it's a whole rigmarole trying to find that, that gratitude. But the state of consciousness is if we could get there, how, how do you, how do you be happy, Stephanie? How do you, what do you do? What kind of things do you do now to, to allow yourself to remain, you know, here on the earth plane, whatever, and, and take it easy with things as the angst keeps piling up and. Well, I did the one thing that most people don't want to do, and that is I became a stay-at-home mother. I stayed home to raise my children and spend every single second that I'm here on this earth plane with them. So you you leave the other material things behind. You know, on one income, you can only have so much. But my husband is sick. He has MS, and he had MS I was diagnosed when I was um, pregnant with my son, where I had my experience. And so we live our lives differently than normal people. We don't care how much money is in the bank account. We don't care how nice our furniture is. We don't care about stuff like that. We care about spending as much time together, the four of us, because it can all be gone in one instant. And so... We don't blog ourselves down with the world of insanity and everybody has to do a million things and that's changing a little because my daughter's in high school now and in, <laughs> in all kinds of things. But, <clears throat> but I come home at the end of every day and I say to them, are you happy with what you put out in the world today? I want, I want them to be kind, <clears throat> to spread kindness And then as long as they feel good about themselves, that's all we can do. And no one lives like that. I don't don't know anyone that lives like that. Um, And so I live my normal life out in the 3D world at a job and people and the nastiness and, and all the drama out there. But the second I step foot in my house, it's my sanctuary. It's our sanctuary. This is the place where we are love and kindness and and that's how we 
That's how we balance it out. We have to, you know, be us and in a loving, safe environment. And we don't let the outside world, you know, come in and attack us. How do you get other people to do that? They have to want to do it. But everyone is so wrapped up and they care about what other people think. And I have taught my children and I've taught myself not to care about what anyone thinks of me. It's a different um, world now than the world that I that I grew up in, and now that the world that you grew, that you are growing up in or have have grown up in, the materialism ha- is off the charts. It's getting worse. Each generation gets worse and worse. And now it's so far gone. I'm afraid they can't pull it back again. They have to want to. This the millennial generation has got to want to connect back to the earth again. We have connected yes. to the computer, the radio waves. This is man-made stuff that is clogging our world. Um, they have to go back to the farming and the land. And if these kids knew what it was like when I grew up, I had to walk four miles into the woods to fill up the water jugs in the spring. <laughs> and this generation goes to a store and presses a button. If they knew what it was like... And if I had the choice, I would walk the four miles to the spring rather than go to the grocery store. It seemed like we had time to do that, but we were also breathing along the way and being in nature. I think there is a huge underground movement happening to try to get people to to ground and, and get out in, in nature more and all that and shut that television off. I know your husband is uh, in charge of the Regal Cinema here in Lansing, Michigan, and uh, he's um, he's got quite the job. He actually, you actually moved here to build uh, the cinema, and I was just ex- uh, complaining to him the other night that I cannot find anything on on the television when I'm traveling. I have to be in hotels, and there's only a, a few stations that have movies; all the rest have um, commercials a zillion of them, and then they're old stuff or whatever, but it's all violence. It is all violence, and it's the same stuff over and over and over again. How many ways can you kill a person? (laughs) You know, how many... And and it's it's becoming... It's crazy. It's mainstream right now, the violence, the zombies, the, you know, the guns, the fighting. Um, There isn't, and and no one has a new creative idea. Uh, When it comes to movies, they are replaying, remaking everything over again. How many Spider-Man movies do you really need? Um, You know, so they don't come up with new fairy tales. They remake the old fairy tales. And then what do they do to them? They turn these wonderful little cartoons that we saw as a children into this violent, horrific fighting movie. And it makes a billion dollars. It's what that generation is. But I can't speak to that because I don't take my children to the movies. But it it scares the heck. uh, You know, the latest movie that came out, you know, I, I understand that it was pretty... Uh, Stephen Stephen King's, King's it. movie, yeah, it, mm-hmm. yeah. Again, remade. Mm-hmm. This is a movie that's already been made. Oh. A book that's been written. You know, that's thirty years ago. This movie came out. Did anyone come up with an original idea? Nope. They just remade something, mm-hmm. and that's one I definitely won't be going to see. I, you know, I don't go there and, and to watch these things. That, uh, you know, I can make a better movie in my head. 
you know, just <laughs> just while I'm around doing my stuff. And and speaking of that, how about that we concentrate on movies in our head of the world that the un, the unseen world, the unknown mm. world, and tapping into that, which of course you have been into my healing center many times, and you were downstairs in my healing room. I call my ethereal operating room, which I still haven't talked about it yet, but I will get there. But this was a vortex. My thing is that there's an in there's information out there in this unseen world, in this unknown world, that can heal you, tell you which direction to go in, uh, touch you even. You were tapped on the shoulder, weren't you? I was. Yeah. I was. So what happened? Well, I was getting gathered in your... It was a spiritual retreat weekend. Yep. yep. And um, we were all in a group, and we were connecting to the other side, and I felt my grandmother, I, I know it's her because I heard her voice. She put her hand on my shoulder, which just happens to be the same shoulder where I have a angel tattoo of her in memory of her on. Um, but she did. She touched my shoulder and she whispered hi in my ear. And it was her voice. So I knew it was her. Um, and that's the first time I'd ever have anyone um, touch me or speak to me. Um, that I was open enough to to get that in that environment. And that was wonderful. Yes. The, the, your, your tattoo, Stephanie, is her name is Patty. That's our my, yes. my mother, your grandmother. And um, I said, hey, how come she's talking to you? She mm-hmm. doesn't talk to me. I hear other, uh, I hear other, and, and I hear the angelic force, because in doing healing with tuning forks and vibration, uh, I, work, I work with them on this, other, on this other level. What, are you doing anything now to keep that connection going or rolling? Like when you were talking about um, that you were in an environment that you could hear that, this is where you uh, well, gather you up know the your energy. House. <laughs> it was your house. That's not the first. That was the first thing I heard in your house. It wasn't the last. I think your sister heard someone too on the outside. Right. <laughs> um, and so, uh, you know, one night you and I were there and we were having a discussion about something. It And, and this is what I find the most intre- interesting is it was about 2010, 2011, Um, And you said to me, I see you living in Michigan. And yes, and we were sitting in your kitchen at night and we were having this discussion and I I was there on vacation staying with you and I was getting ready to go back to Las Vegas. And you were like, no, 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 you can't go back there. Um, You you have to move to Michigan. (laughs) And I was like, you're crazy. What's wrong with you? And I can't just move to Michigan, you know. And... um, I said, I was about to say the words, I'm going back home. And right as I said the word home, someone screamed the word no. So much so that I flew out of my chair, grabbed the closest flashlight and went outside because I thought somebody was outside trying to get in. And you were you, referring to Las Vegas as home. Yes, and the, I was and referring to Las Vegas. No. And the voice said no, <laughs> and you never even moved. You didn't flinch. You didn't move a muscle. And I go running outside, and, <laughs> and then I come back inside, and you go, there's no one out there. <laughs> that was them, the guys, Telling screaming you. at you, no, do not go there. 
And sure enough, um, three years later, I was with you again in your healing center in Connecticut when I got the phone call from my husband. And he said, would you like to move to Lansing? And I said, yes, immediately, without even thinking anything. And exactly three weeks later, he was on a plane and gone. It wasn't even, it was just quick. It just, I said, yes. And it wasn't until after that I realized, oh my God, remember three years ago, you told me I was going to Michigan. You saw me in Michigan and I had never even on my radar because first it was Guam, then it was Connecticut. You know, the theater wants to move us to these other places, and I'm, I'm not going there. I'm not going there. <laughs> and uh, and then he said Lansing, and I just said, sure, yeah, let's let's move to Michigan. And then that was when I said, oh my God, Colleen knew I was going to Michigan. But also, your higher self or the guides looking after you from the shout from the from the other side, from the unknown world, which is actually right inside of us, really close to us. And, and do you think that that had such an impact, you know, on your whole being that it's, it just stays inside and then till, until that time period comes, of course, there's no time, you know, in the mm-hmm. un, unseen world, and uh, time doesn't exist there. We, we made it up. So it's an illusion. It's part of the, the whole life-death thing. But that it penetrated so much then that, that your decision to move to Lansing was like instant. Instant. So because it was already built in. It yeah, was already. It, it was, you know, when they say, do you want to move somewhere? And then you're online trying to figure out, is that the right place for you? You go visit. None of that happened. It was an instantaneous, and it had nothing to do with what you had told me. Like, it's not as if I remembered that. That was years prior to it. But the instant he said Michigan, everything felt right. There wasn't any qualms or anything that, that would have made me second guess it. And so I just said, sure, let's go. And, uh, and that was the end of that. It was very quick after that. So can you imagine, Stephanie, having um, that uh, we as biological uni- universal universologists, so we're, we're part of uh, the entire universe, we, we were born you know, through a seed or other places and coming to here to reseed this place and knowing that that we don't die, knowing that we are eternal, wouldn't that, isn't that what really kind of keeps us going in a way? We can't be enjoying our environment so much here that that is what keeps us going. We lock our doors our car doors, our, our homes, our hearts, we lock everything. We're looking behind our shoulders. We've, it, it, there's, nothing, there's nothing secure here. There's nothing to write home about. <laughs> you know, I'm a very big believer in Yeshua and Jesus and the, and the guardian angels. They're the ones that have assisted me in my healing work. This is what I asked for. This is what I wanted to do. I said, either you show me what I'm doing here, how how to heal. Um, uh, your grandmother, my mother, has stage four cancer. How are we going to get her out of this? Your husband has MS, and that's, that was another thing about connecting to the, the spirit world. But I guess if you don't really believe in it, you're not going to give yourself the opportunity to see how you could really do it. Heal sure. yourself. 
I know because of what I've seen over the years. I've seen you do amazing things, provide people with amazing information, life-changing information. I've witnessed it firsthand just out at dinner, you know, not even a planned reading or or session. I've seen it just out in the world is normal life. Um, it's the you called me up one day. My daughter was one which means it was 2004. You called me on the cell phone. You were 25,000 feet in the air on an airplane. And I go, hello? And you go, move right now. And I said, move? And so I stepped to the side thinking you wanted me to physically move my body. (laughs) And you were like, pack up your house and move. And I was like, you're crazy. What are you crazy? I said, what are you doing? (laughs) Three days later, I was robbed. That you were in an apartment in It was an apartment Three days later, I came home, and there was a black footprint and on my front door, and the door was open. And and sure enough, someone had come in and stolen everything, everything that they could get their hands on and get out the door, um, my passport, my grandmother's jewelry, everything important to me. The safe was gone. Everything um, was, was gone, M- material things, you know. So when... Uh, when you witness little things like that over and over and over again, it sort of just has been built into me. And I, I am at a peace with myself, with the spirituality uh, and the other side of things. So it, it was in me already. So when he said Lansing, it, I knew it was, right. I just knew in my, you know, in my soul that it was, it was a good place. I mean, he said Guam to me too, and I didn't jump at that, you know. Can you imagine? I can't. <laughs> I, 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 yeah, no. I, you know, because that was right before we moved here too. So it, but it look, could have that's been that what everything things are happening now in Guam, right? I mean, it's very close to yes. And uh, there's a reason I didn't, and I feel very pulled to to here in this town. Um, and so I I am living a life now that never in my wildest dreams did I think I would be living. Um, and I know that it's just following in my gut instincts. Because I, I do know, and everyone does, but most people don't listen to their gut. And that is another good point about strengthening the intuition. Uh, and when we do get ourselves in situations, which I think every day, it's like we have all these situations going on from the top on down. I mean, like, wow. But I'm talking also about the healing aspects of things and getting bit by a tick or a bee bite or, um, you know, a finger was slammed in the car, my finger was slammed in the car door and and I was so stunned and shocked and was blood everywhere, but I never felt a thing, it didn't hurt at all, nothing, mm-hmm. nothing. And then uh, there was a little, tiny little, um, just a little squiggly mark on my on my nail. And then I thought, oh, I wonder if that was the finger that got caught in the door. Mm. So we call that spiritualizing matter. And that means when you are in the spiritual sense, when you are loving the, the creator and creation, and you are in love with that peacefulness, that that unconditional peace that you can cannot describe, and neither can anyone else who's ever had a near-death experience. They cannot, they, there are no words to describe it, as you were saying earlier. Then to get ourselves into that state where we can heal all of it, and I'm meaning 
not only the physical body, but the, but the emotional body. And actually, the mental body heals the physical body mm-hmm. because the physical body just disappears and disintegrates, as you know. And, and it's the spiritual body that's really in charge of everything. So my podcasts are called Mystic Grace. The ego has a contract out on all of us for a reason, and that is because ego easing God out that we are never going to get to where we really want to be unless we get it into our heads and through the mental, through the mind, through our hearts to understand once and for all that we are eternal spiritual beings having the human experience and not the other way around And shouldn't we be testing this out now? Shouldn't we just be experimenting with this? It it really is the emotional body that we don't tap into a lot. Everything is drama and trauma and, you know, unreal things, reality shows that are the most unreal, the unreal things. But the emotional bodies that that, that can say, oh, I'm sorry, or, or let's sit down and talk about this, or, you know, don't jump to conclusion, conclusions like with, your, with, with neighbors or friends or family. You have no idea what anybody else is going through at any time, at any time. And so that emotional body never gets used, and it gets stored and stored and stored, and we try to feed it Drink, drink with you know all these, all these things, all these addictions, and all this stuff, because we are so internally unhappy. But when, when you explain the peace, which you can't explain all the way, that and the, and that keeps you here, right? Keeps you here on the earth plane. What what is your wish, Stephanie, for yourself now? You you're thirty nine. You know what it, what is your what would you like to see if you, if you knew that you only had a week left on the earth plane, that you were actually going to go back to that peaceful place and that you got a shout from the other side and they said, Stephanie, it's time for you to come back. We're going to roll you back up. We're going we're gonna to take you back and you've got seven days. What are you going to do, Steph? I don't know if I'd stay seven days. Oh, I'd say take me now. Um, because there really is like, yes, I have children. Yes, I have a husband. Yes, I have a house and a mortgage and life and all that stuff. Doesn't matter. None of that stuff goes with you. None of that stuff matters on the other side. And I don't know if I'd want to do anything um, other than maybe let a few other people experience the feeling of peace of where I was headed so that they can keep it going in this world. I try to be um, a kind and loving person every day to anyone I meet. I don't care who they are. Um, just to to put that out in the world, and I would encourage others to do so. Um, when you take it into the negative, the negative very is easily, gas is easily thrown on that fire, and it gets bigger and more people can get into it. And that's an easy thing to get to. Anger is easy. Hate is easy. Um, Forgiveness is hard. Compassion is hard. Empathy is hard. Um, And you have to work at it. It, It's not just an easy thing. Um, Well, why do you think that is, Stephanie? Why do you think 
that compassion is so difficult. It's a trick of the ego to make you think that it's so difficult. It's a but fear why thing. Do you think? It's a fear. It, everyone of what? has their own. Well, everyone has their own fears. You know, I may be afraid of something that you're not afraid of, and you're afraid for different reasons. And everybody has their own reasons, but it basically stems back to secrets. Everyone has things they try to cover up. They put, they project an image of themselves of what they want you to see not who they really are. And I would encourage people to be the way you really want to be. Do unto others as you would have done unto yourself. Do you like it when somebody's angry at you, when somebody brushes you off, when somebody cuts in front of you? So why should you in turn do those things to them? I'm going to go cut somebody off now. Now I'm going to be rude to somebody in the store. Like, why does it have to be that way? If you can... Turn your anger, your guilt, your frustration, your animosity, um, if you can turn it into a positive thing to make someone else feel good about themselves, you can make yourself feel better. Um, my, my husband's always saying to me, what is with you? You're always talking to strangers and stuff. And I said, well, I like her shirt. And he goes, she doesn't care if you like her shirt. <laughs> I said, she most certainly does. Because when I go up to her and I say, what a lovely shirt, it's so beautiful. She's like, oh my goodness, thank you so much. You know, or tell someone they have a nice smile or, or you know, say something nice to someone and it, see how they change. So you meet the grumpy lady at the cash register. She's got a puss on her face. She looks like she's had the worst day of her life. And then I go, wow, those earrings are really beautiful. Watch the way she changes instantly in front of your face. And if you can think about projecting yourself on a regular basis the same way, don't go out with a grumpy puss on your face and, and who cares and no, I can't help you to people in this world. If you smiled and said, please, hello, thank you, nice to see you, have a nice day. If everyone did that, then this would be a lovely place to live. It would be a wonderful place to live. And then they could learn more. You have to start with a little bit of goodness before you're going to get the whole shebang. You, you have know? to start with yourself, right? You have to start <clears throat> with Michael Jackson told us 30 years ago with the man in the mirror. Look in the mirror first. See that person that you see? That person needs work. And the only person that's going to be able to control that is you. I tell my children now that they're getting older, I can't help you. You need to make these decisions for yourself. Who do you want project out there? Who do you want people to see when they look at you? How do you want people to describe you when they talk about you? And you have to be your own person. I can't do it for you. You have to do it yourself. And in, if everyone took that mentality on, then we would be in a better place. That's great, Steph. Yeah. When it's hard to do, and I understand it. And it didn't come... It didn't come easily to me, you know. I had the same bringing up as everybody. You know, you go out, you party, you drugs, rock and roll, and all that stuff. Well, um, I don't know about everybody. I mean, yeah, I had some of that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, the ones not. that didn't are missing out. But, um, <laughs> yeah. you know, it's just I said to myself, who, who do, what do I want people to say about me when I'm not around? That's what I think about. What is that person going to say? And I do not want one person to say, I do not like that girl. 
I don't want people to say that because then it's something negative coming off of me and that's not what I want to put out there. I want to be part of the light and be part of the kindness in the world. And you got an attitude, take that stuff at home, deal with it at home. When you're out in the world, be kind, be generous, be open to what's out there and you never know what's going to what's going to come be open your to your higher self be open to the healing be open to uh to the unknown listen to the things that are going on in your head yes you know when when you're driving down a street and this is a very lame explanation but just say you're driving down the street and you're at a crossroads and you think to yourself i'm going to turn right and then you end up turning left and you're stuck in traffic for two hours you should have listened to the voice in your head that said to go right. And people do this every day, they, they, a dozen times a day. Something in your head tells you something and you don't listen to it. And that's your fault because you are getting the message. You're just not listening. Well, I want to thank you very much for this, Stephanie. You know, um, your children are wonderful and 14-year-old and the 10-year-old and and I think you and your husband have done a very good job of, of raising them. And I think that's where the blessings are. They're in the future, you know, of, of our children. And the less they are afraid to be themselves as much as possible, the better off we're going to be. And I, I'm looking forward to that time when we will really be able to be honest with ourselves, we don't, we won't have to fear um, death or a retribution. You know, like uh, like our, our father, your grandfather was so afraid. Like you said, the older people are so afraid to to die. A lot, a lot of them. They and think I think that uh, what they do here on the earth plane, they're going to get punished for when they get over there. <laughs> yes, and I don't think that even exists over there because once you cross the path once you move into the light all of that is gone that's what uh, mike ford said in the podcast before number two he said i saw these beings around my bed and there were some uncles there that had a terrible life they did terrible things and they're standing there with the rest of them the good the good guys he goes so i decided right then and there, there was no hell, and and that's it. I don't believe in hell either. Mm -hmm. I think that everyone goes to the higher place, wherever it may be, um, but I think it's a lovely place. And I think that you, when you die, I think you know. So everything that you feel was negative and, oh, my God, you'll never believe all the horrible things I did in my life, that kind of thing. It doesn't matter, and you'll understand why the second that happens. There isn't a judge and jury up there waiting for you. It's not It's not like that. We are all judge and juries of ourselves. And the religious communities have taught us that big time. Right. So your that worst enemy same. is yourself. And I think that if you accept what you did, accept it you will be okay in the end. I think if you can accept, okay, so I did those things. That was really crappy of me. I shouldn't have done it. That was the worst worst time in my life. I don't think that you're going to go to hell for it. I think that you need to acknowledge the behavior that happened and you need to apologize to yourself. 
Because yourself is your God self. And when you do that, when you say, like, take responsibility, you recognize that, and you say sorry to yourself, the the instant that is done the, is the forgiveness from the higher self, from God. And that puts the ego in the back, way, way, way in the back, easing God out no longer, because the ego has a contract, had a contract out on you. And we think here in our human shells that if as long as we're standing up or we, we are alive, breathing, we have an ego and we have to protect that against against all costs. The moment that we say sorry <laughs> or that we are uh, we are not afraid to say sorry and we're not afraid to be who we are and we can love one another and we can be kind, then the ego goes, done, done, no longer no longer there. It's no longer there. And then the power of that perfection, because I think we are all perfect, whole, and complete just the way we were born. And I think we return in that way. And I think it's all very interesting. And I thank you so much, Stephanie, for coming to Planet Station Earth and being born when you were born and for giving me a reason to stay here as well and and help and be with you and lately you helping me <laughs> as well. So thank you very much. My pleasure. It's wonderful. You know that I'm I have this connection to you, you know, and so it it means a lot to have you here with me. So thank you for inviting me. So long from Lansing, Michigan and I have no idea where the next podcast will be from, but Please follow me and God bless.